Hi, everyone. Yeah, like Brandon said, my name is Ryan King, and I'm a small group leader here uh, with my wife, Becca. Uh, We have a seven-month-old named Anna. Uh, She's really cute and fun. Lately, she's been waving with two hands, and she claps, and that's really fun. Today, she said mama for the first time, so Becca was very happy about that. (laughs) Yeah, so she's really really fun. Yeah, I'm really thankful and excited to get to share God's Word with you today. We have a packed house. This is really cool. like Brandon said, we're continuing our, ser- our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And before I dive into today's passage, I kind of want to recap, uh, look back at what we've discussed so far, and look at the theme of the overall sermon. Um, so Brandon has shared with us that Jesus is contrasting these two kingdoms, the kingdom of the gospel and then the kingdom of religion or the kingdom of the world. Jesus continues to reverse conventional thinking on its head. He, he's telling us that rather than looking at outside actions, it's the heart that matters. So before Easter, uh, a few weeks before Easter, Brandon talked about the law and how it's about the character of our heart behind the laws, not the letter of the law. That's what's important. And he told us that we can never live up to God's expectation of perfection, but by trusting in Jesus's righteousness, we can be right with God. And then later, Dustin preached about practicing our righteousness for the praise of men and how that's worthless. And uh, that we're to live our faith in response to the love that God has for us, that he, show, that he showed us through Jesus, not for the praise of men. So Jesus challenged the way people in his time thought about the Old Testament law, how they practiced their faith, and how they lived. And it's important to remember all these things as we continue to go into the Sermon on the Mount further. So this week, Jesus is continuing to challenge the way we think, but he's shifting the focus to money. Money was actually the most talked about subject during Jesus's ministry. Most of us spend the majority of our weeks earning a paycheck. Our culture is one that promotes fancy lifestyles, and it persuades us that we never have enough. It's easy to see why Jesus and the rest of the Bible discuss money a lot. It pertains to nearly every aspect of our lives, and it can be used for both good and evil purposes, and it can reveal much about our hearts. From this passage, what I hope we see is that money isn't worthy of our pursuing, only God is. So money isn't worthy of our pursuing, only God is. So I'm a big NBA fan, uh, and Wilt Chamberlain is one of the most like, famous basketball players of all time, and one of the best. He's commonly known for his 100-point game, which is still the the most points in a game ever scored. And he also has a bunch of other crazy records that probably will never be beaten. But he was known as a stat chaser, so he would dedicate entire seasons and games to just breaking statistical records. One season, he decided that he wanted to lead the league in assists, which is pretty hard. Like, he was a center, a tall guy. Often they don't pass a lot, so that's pretty impressive because he actually did lead the league in assists that season. But since then, it's come out that he would actually only pass to teammates that he knew would catch and shoot the ball really quick, because he wanted more assists. If a teammate caught the ball and then dribbled a few times and then shot, he wouldn't get an assist for that pass, so he wouldn't pass to those teammates. What Wilt valued most that season was gaining assists, and he did everything in his power to to have the highest total. He pursued assists even to the point of dismissing team chemistry and team strategy. Wilt valued statistical records more than anything else, and it drove everything about the way he played the game of basketball. So just like Wilt with records, 
Jesus wants us to know that, what we, that we will pursue what we value most and that only God is worthy of that. So we will pursue what we value most and only God is worthy of, of valuing most. So as we study this passage, we're going to answer three questions. What is treasure and what does it mean to store it up? Why is God more worthy of pursuing than money? And why do we choose to value money over God? So let's pray, and then we'll dive in, then we'll read the passage. Yeah, Jesus, uh, I'm really thankful to be here and thankful for everyone that is here. Uh, I just pray that, yeah, that today you would make yourself really big and make everything else really small. I pray that you would teach us that you are most worthy of valuing, that you are most important, and that everything else isn't. Yeah, we love you, Jesus, and um, just pray that you would speak through me and calm me, and yeah, that your words would be the ones that I would speak. I love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to read the passage. This is Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the first thing we're going to look at is, what is treasure? What are these two treasures Jesus is describing? And what does it mean to store them up? So he talks about treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. And we can store up treasure on earth or we can store up treasure in heaven. For both places, the treasure itself and what it means to store it up look quite differently. So we'll start with treasure on earth. So later in the passage, we see that Jesus talks about money. And he mentions this treasure on earth that it can be destroyed and it can be stolen. So it's pretty clear that this is a literal treasure. It's actual money, like in our bank account. It's stuff we can buy and collect, like electronics and gadgets, houses, cars, clothes, retirement accounts. So what does it mean to store those things up? Well, that's pretty literal too. It's physically accumulating more and more of it, seeking to increase our bank accounts, our retirement accounts, trying to get bigger and better houses and fancier cars. It's also easy to see why treasure on earth is attractive to us. It's tangible. We can have our hands on it. We can see it. It's generally easy attainable. Like we can go and get whatever we want if we just work harder or save up. And it provides instant satisfaction. I'm going to argue and we're going to talk more about like, I don't think that that's lasting and it's a false sense of satisfaction, but it is instant and we can feel that. So storing up treasure on earth means pursuing, obtaining things of monetary value. What about treasure in heaven? Treasure in heaven can be more abstract. We can't actually put things into heaven. I was thinking about those um, tubes when you go through the drive-thru at the bank and you like put your check in and it like shoots up to the teller. Like Those don't exist to like go all the way up into heaven so we can put stuff into heaven. It doesn't work like that. So, what, so let's think about what will be in heaven. And I don't want to get into some crazy tangent about heaven today, but 
we know for sure that God will be there and that God's people will be there. So just like storing things on earth turns into a pursuit of money, storing things in heaven is also a pursuit. It's the pursuit of the things of God's kingdom. It's the pursuit of God, and it's the pursuit of his people. So this could look like seeking a relationship with him, seeking to know God and enjoying him, following his will and obeying him. This is being involved in people's lives, both outside and within the church. I think that there's definitely a missional aspect to storing up treasures in heaven. People who believe in Jesus and follow him are quite literally treasures in heaven. And as followers of Jesus, this means that we desire to share Jesus with those around us who don't know him. So storing up treasures in heaven means aligning our hearts to God's and pursuing what he cares about. So in both cases, for earth and heaven, to store up treasures is to live your life in pursuit of those things, whether they're earthly possessions and accumulating them, or God's kingdom and living to enjoy and advance it. So now that we've seen the two kingdoms or the two treasures and what they mean, why is God worthy of pursuing over money? Why should we store treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth? So in verse 21, Jesus says, "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Jesus says the place in which you decide to store your treasure is the place where your heart resides. And in this case, the heart that Jesus is talking about is like the core of who we are, what drives us, where our values and beliefs are. Where our treasure is dictates who the king on the throne of our heart is. This king will call all, all of our shots of our motivations and desires. So if we pursue money and possessions, our heart is stuck on earth. It's oriented towards money. Money drives and motivates our actions. Money is the king on the throne of our heart. If we pursue God and his kingdom, our heart is in heaven. Our heart is oriented towards the Father. God drives and motivates our actions. God is the king on the throne of our heart. The passage continues to give three reasons why it's better for our hearts to be aligned with God. The first one is that Jesus says money and possessions will rot and get stolen, but treasure in heaven will not. That was a rhyme there. That was cool. Money and possessions aren't eternal. They are meaningless and worthless to us when we die. Even while we live, money and possessions decay and break down. We all know this. We live in the frozen tundra and our cars rust out. Uh, something's always wrong with our houses. They're breaking. We need to fix them. And even our, like, our bank accounts, uh, they get bled out by bills and medical procedures and college funds. Earthly treasure just doesn't last, and it will never fulfill on the other hand, treasure in heaven can't rot. It never goes away. It's eternal, and it's far more meaningful and worthy than money can ever be. We know that God existed before time began. We know he created everything, and he will exist eternally. And he also promises that those who believe in him will, will have eternal life. The people in God's kingdom will actually live forever. So we know that treasure in heaven is forever, but treasure in earth is temporary. The second reason why it's better for our hearts to be aligned with God is that Jesus says what we value most is our guide, and God is a better guide. So we see this in verses 22 through 23, and I'm going to read those again. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. This section can be kind of confusing. There's this eye and a lamp and light and darkness, 
But if we just think about what our eyes do, they allow us to see where we go. They guide our path and tell us which direction we should walk. And in this case, Jesus again is using this um, metaphor of our eye being our heart. So like the core of who we are, what drives us. Jesus is continuing to expand upon the idea that it's important that what we value most and that whatever, whatever that thing is, whatever we value most will be our guide. It will be our eye. A healthy eye is one that, tor- turn, that looks towards God, an eye that values God and the things of his kingdom more than anything else. On the other hand, an unhealthy eye values money and earthly treasure most. Jesus describes this, the danger of this unhealthy eye in verse 23 when he says, How great is that darkness? Jesus is warning against money being our guide. When money guides us, it leads us down a path of destruction. That's because only, money can only lead us down a path towards itself, towards desiring more of it. And money itself is not a worthy end goal. This is the darkness Jesus is describing here. However, valuing King Jesus and letting him illuminate our hearts will lead us to life and will lead us to ultimate joy and satisfaction. At the end of the, at the, end of the path of the healthy eye is God himself the very one who created us and knows us deeply. God wants us to participate in the joys and riches that exist in a life dedicated to following him. Valuing God and having him as our guide allows us to see our life as a means to knowing him and glorifying him. So God is a better guide. And finally, Jesus says that what we value most is our master. So in verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus says we can only have one master. That's because the language here is describing a slave and master relationship. The master would, here would demand obedience and would determine everything that the servant or slave is to do. This is why two masters is impossible. A slave can't obey two masters. Then if it obeys one, it's always disobeying the other. The unique thing about this slave-master relationship is that we get to choose who our master is, God or money. The passage says we love, we're devoted to, and we serve one of them, and the other one we hate and despise. We're going to serve the one that we love. You aren't going to obey a master that you hate and despise. So the thing that we pursue is the thing that, we, that we'll obey. If we pursue money, we'll love money, and we, we'll, we will live under its obedience and direction. Money is our master. If we pursue God, if we store up treasure in heaven, we love God, and we live under his obedience and direction. God is our master. So Solomon was an Israelite king written about in the Old Testament. He was a very successful ruler, and Israel flourished under his command. King Solomon was supremely rich. As a king, he built lavish temples. He collected horses and chariots, which is kind of like collecting Ferraris and Lamborghinis today. He had hundreds of wives and concubines. Basically, whatever Solomon wanted, he got. Solomon definitely tested the waters of having money as his master and his guide. Later in his life, Solomon wrote the book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is about, is about the temporariness of life and how everything outside of God is, is fleeting. Towards the end, or in the middle of Ecclesiastes, he writes this. Whoever loves money never has enough. 
Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So despite having all that wealth and and riches, Solomon eventually realized that the pursuit of wealth only leads to never being satisfied and always wanting more. Money can never fully satisfy us. It will always ask for more. It will always tell us we don't have enough. It will always compare us to someone who has more. It decays and it leads us to darkness. It is a meaningless master and it's a dangerous guide. It's not worthy of being valued number one by our hearts. So what can happen if money is our pursuit, if it is our master and our guide? For example, at work, if money is our master, then salary, bonuses, and sales are always most important. This means that non-ethical decisions become tempting. And it means that commitments and promises are broken so that we can produce something faster or cheaper. It's easier to cut corners when money is master. People like our coworkers and bosses become a means rather than people that we value to build relationships and care for. We use people to gain an advantage, rather than genuinely getting to know people or always trying to network and get an angle. What about at family, with family or at home? If money is our master, then time with family is minimized so we can increase work time and to try to earn more money. Budgeting and financial decisions are burdensome and cause division. And if money is our master, then when we come into financial trouble, our soul is crushed. We're destroyed when we lose it because it's everything that we care about. God is the best master. He's eternal. His kingdom will never fall. He will never decay or rot. He will never demand more of us because Jesus has already fulfilled God's expectations with his perfect life and with his death on the cross on our behalf. Through Jesus, we have already been given everything we will ever need. Now, God will desire that we obey and follow him, but this is in response to his love. It's not a demand, and it will never become an indictment. But money will never sacrifice a single thing for you. God sacrificed his very son so that we might live. We're to value God most because he is the most deserving to be valued. He's infinitely holy, infinitely gracious, infinitely loving and merciful. Only he is worthy to being devoted to and serving. I pray that we see that as a much better treasure, that we see the infinite riches of a good father who promises eternal glory rather than a temporary collection of stuff that's going to go away soon. So if all that is true, if it is true that we should value God over money, then why do we still choose to value money over God? It's easy to see that money isn't worthy of valuing most. I think that probably most of us, even before all my rambling, (laughs) could agree with that. So then why do we still value money sometimes, or maybe all the time? If you remember back to my first point, uh, I said that earthly treasures are attractive because they provide an instant satisfaction, even though it's temporary, because they're tangible, and for the most part, they're easily attainable. But I think the the true reason money is attractive to us is because we believe lies about it, and we don't believe the truth about who God is and what he provides. We don't believe the truths of the gospel. We're going to look at a few examples of that here. First example is that we don't believe that God will provide. We don't believe that God will give us what we need, so we try to do it ourselves. God sacrificed his own son on a cross so that our sins can be forgiven. He met our biggest need, our need for forgiveness. He provided the only way out of our despair. 
yet we don't believe that he's going to provide the basic necessities for this week. In Matthew 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is pointing out here that to God, we are supremely valuable, and we know that because he died for us. God loves and cares for us. If he was willing to go to those lengths to display his love, we can trust that he will provide for us. Another thing that we don't believe is that we don't believe that the treasure we have in God is enough to satisfy us. Like I said earlier, money never sacrifices a single thing for you, but God sacrificed his very son that you might live. Through believing in Jesus and trusting his righteousness, instead of God seeing our sin, he sees Jesus. This makes us one with God. This makes us adopted sons and daughters because of what he's done on our behalf. If we continue to pursue stuff and bank accounts and financial security instead of... Oh, sorry. If we pursue that stuff to make us happy, we aren't believing the good news of the gospel. We think to ourselves, yeah, Jesus dying for me is great, but I'm still not happy unless I have blank. This is, this is false. Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. If we try to add anything to the gospel, it diminishes what Jesus did for us. We can't look to anything else. It's just Jesus. Another, another lie we believe is that we don't believe that God is to be glorified. We don't see God as supremely worthy, so we see it fit to build up a kingdom for ourselves. The gospel re- reveals God's glory because the cost of sin was crazy high. Jesus, God himself, had to die to pay for it. Only God is worthy of having a kingdom built up for. We believe that we deserve a kingdom because we fail to see his majesty. So as I was uh, prepping and thinking about this, uh, it just it was really good for my heart to um, think about it. And one thing that I thought about is that, um, yeah, I have a lot of hobbies, and Becca can attest to this. When it comes to money, I avoid budgeting because I want money to maximize my spending power on things I like to do. Rather than seeing money as a tool for God's kingdom, I attempt to use it as a tool to maximize my own. This causes some problems that I've noticed, and probably a lot that I haven't, but here's what I've seen. When I feel like I have to say no to something, I get frustrated at God and Becca. My identity is rooted in my comfort and pleasures, so when that gets taken away, I get defensive and bitter. I fail to see God as a good father. I fail to see him as, whole, as a holy God worthy of giving everything for. Instead, to me, God becomes an overbearing overlord who just wants to say no. But what I'm forgetting is that at my worst, God rescued me. He bled for me. Why would I think he wants anything but the best for me? I fail to see Becca as a loving and gracious wife who wants what's best for our family and our financial situation. It's unfair to her that I avoid tough conversations about finances because I might think she'll have to say no. I don't think it's bad to have hobbies or to spend money on them, but I just need to be careful that I'm uh, making sure I'm being responsible and stewarding our income well. I I need Jesus to help me to have a content heart and to help me find more joy in doing what he wants with my money rather than thinking only about my entertainment. I need Jesus to replace the lies I'm believing about what money can provide, about the satisfaction it can give me. With, and I need 
him to replace that with truths about the gospel, about how only he can satisfy me. Because God is such a good father, sometimes the two things will overlap. Sometimes I will be able to spend money on my hobbies. And when they don't, though, I pray that, that I would genuinely be joyful and enjoy giving what we have away for his kingdom. So it's easy to think about all those things and about all the lies that we believe and just say, okay, well, I'll try harder. I'll just try and believe the gospel and dismiss money. But the thing is, is that won't work because we have sinful hearts and we'll always turn back to money. If we just try harder, we're going to fail. We're going to have guilt and shame and we'll become frustrated that our effort isn't working. Even if we try to change our spending habits, have like a really tight budget or live on the streets and donate all of our paychecks, Those are just outward actions that are going to help us temporarily think less of money. But eventually, our hearts will always gravitate towards sin and its lies. Because of this, we desperately need a heart change. We need the truths of the gospel to penetrate our sin and change our motivations. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, uh, the Bible explains how when we belong to God, He removes a heart of stone, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. We talk about that passage a lot here at River City, I think, and I think it's for a good reason. It reminds us that only God is able to uproot our dead heart and replace it with a heart that longs to follow him. Only God can open our heart to see the truth of the gospel and replace the lies we believe about money. Only God can can diminish our love for money and illuminate himself to us. Let's pray for that now. Yeah, God, uh, yeah, I just pray for that, that you would diminish money in our hearts and that you would make much of yourself. Uh, We're tempted to believe lies about money and about a lot of different things too. And um, we're tempted to diminish you and um, to dismiss your gospel and its truths. But I pray that... um, yeah, that you would help us to not do that, that you would change our hearts, that you would reveal to us the areas where we are believing lies and um, instead show us where we need to believe your gospel. God, we thank you for your gospel and that it's true that you died for us and that we can have ultimate joy and satisfaction in life because of what you've done and through you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.